0: understand fully before you get into something. The inflation of the cost of education in North America is somewhere between five to seven percent a year. That lifetime limit is $50,000 per individual.
1: How's my financial health doc? Welcome to the Financial Literacy Podcast for Healthcare Professionals, where financial security and wealth topics are not a taboo. Welcome back everybody to the How is My Financial Health Doc podcast and today we have our guest again and my friend uh, Ken Pei helping us discussing about think about the kids what should we do uh, as parents to set our kids up uh, well financially for their future? So welcome, uh, Ken, uh, to the show, and thank you for helping us out again.
0: Hey, anytime. Thanks for having me, Vu.
1: Ken, you know, as parents, um, I'm a parent and you're a parent. Uh, we always have to think about you know, how to raise our kids, how to raise them well, and how to set them up. Uh, in life for success. Obviously, uh, we want to raise them well, uh, and we want to protect them. And one of the ways to protect them is uh, financially setting them up for success in the future uh, and providing them a good education. And that costs a lot of money. And so, how are the things, how are the ways that as parents we can start taking the first step?
0: Right, so that's a really good question, Vu. especially for families who, who are younger and have young kids. Uh, it's important, and, and many people actually are really concerned about their children like we are. And we want to provide the best care for them and, and support them going forward. So a few things you want to consider here. Um, you can go ahead and provide for your children's education in different ways. Uh, one is, of course, the most common one is people would just go ahead and, and pay for it when the time comes and they'll take it out of their own pocket or savings. Uh, Or they can borrow money from the government through, uh, in this case, for Ontario OSAP. Uh, Or sometimes the banks would also uh, lend loan money to some of the, depending on what type of uh, education you're getting or degree you're pursuing. Um, Of course, uh, there's all other different ways to do it too. Like sometimes grandparents would, you know, set up accounts for their grandkids or parents would do the same uh set up informal trusts if you want to do that at at their very young age and save money for them and of course the most popular one is the RESP which stands for registered education savings plan
1: that is perfect ken so let's just uh jump right into it and talk about RESP because that's a very important topic that uh, a lot of parents are still wondering what that is and so maybe in your words ken um Describe what it is and and how is that set up?
0: Sure. So, you know, as I mentioned earlier, RESB stands for Registered Education Savings Plan. This is something that is somewhat similar to an RRSB, but the RRSB is for your retirement. This one's for the education of an individual. Uh, So what it is really is a tax-sheltered type of account uh, that the government allows uh, certain individuals to set up for uh, anybody, right? Um, and what's good about this is that uh, when you put some money in, the individual can potentially qualify for some grants that the government can match with the amount of money that uh, whoever puts the money and saves the money for the children. Um, so that's the RESP. You can, um, and we can talk a little bit more in detail if you want to in terms of what you can do with it, but... Uh, on a nut- in a nutshell, it's just a, a, a an account, a type of registered account that you can save money for the kid's education that is registered. You can save a little bit on taxes on the growth and then get some
1: grants. So it is really a registered saving account uh, to uh, allow the parents to save some money uh, for the child or the children. And so how much money can uh, a parent or a family save in each child's account. Is there? Is there a limit?
0: Um, yes, there is a limit, Vu. Um, there's no annual limit for the contributions to an RESP, but there is a lifetime contribution limit to an RESP. That lifetime limit is $50,000 per individual, right? So uh, you can put, uh, you know, you can put, let's say, 10000 this year, or if you have the money, you can put uh, a lump sum of 50000 this year. Uh, but you know, if when you do these things, you got to consult a, a professional, like a, a financial advisor, or a planner, like myself, and uh, find out if that actually is beneficial. Because then there's also limitations in terms of what grants, how much grants you can get per year.
1: No, yeah, absolutely, you are correct. So if we put, you know, the entire fifty thousand into that account because we have such money. It make makes sense because we're thinking we're putting a lot of money in, but we're not taking advantage of the government grant, uh, which we'll talk about in just a minute. I think for most families, they want to do it in an automated way where they put in either monthly or they put in um, annually, but also uh, respecting certain criteria to maximize that government grant. And so you're right, there are different ways to skin this cat, and the best way to do it is actually one that is convenient for the family, but also that also maximizes the different subsidies that are given to these uh, accounts. So you mentioned that the lifetime limit is uh, fifty thousand, but you know we're we're all you know in healthcare, uh, whether we're doctors, dentists, nurses, or nurse practitioners, and a lot of the times we aspire our kids to be like us in healthcare. Um, I would say that I probably think differently. I'm, I'm not sure that I want my kids to be a physician, but you know that's another topic for another day. Uh, but if we do want them to be healthcare professionals, that costs a lot of money to do a undergrad and then a postgrad. Um, and so 50000 may not be enough. Uh, how do we circumvent that? Or in a RESP, there is no way to circumvent that. You did mention earlier, uh, very in quick passing, about informal trust. We'll talk about that in a separate podcast. But just to answer the question of the RSP, uh, if the limit is only 50000 what else can we do?
0: Right. So that's a very good question. It's a valid one, especially if you have, you know, you have uh, great aspirations for your children. If you want them to go for uh, graduate studies or uh, you know, post-doctorate or post-graduate studies, uh, it definitely can cost, it can add up. You know, one of the things that, uh, this is many years back, so I don't know how accurate it is today, but, you know, one of the things that in the past many years they say is the inflation of the cost of education in North America is somewhere between 5 to 7% a year. That's way beyond the normal inflation rate of, uh, of, 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 our, of North America. So it will cost a lot of money. One of the things to consider here, Boo, and, and for you for you all listening here, is that when your child is born to the time that they're actually ready to go to university, assuming nothing goes wrong, they probably will go in 18 years, right? So if you have about 18 years, that's plenty of time for you to actually start planning and preparing for this, as long as you have the means for it. Now. If you think about it, that's the reason why I say when you're doing this, if you had the funds, a lump sum amount, is consult with a financial planner because one of the things you might be able to do is to do a cost-benefit analysis. Because, I'm not sure if you did a podcast on the power of compounding, um, but uh, if you have 18 years to compound that $50,000 at whatever interest or return you're getting, uh, it could actually make sense that you might actually start, Putting that lump sum now, uh, and and compare it to whether you're going to have to slowly put it in later with this, uh, the grant that you're getting, right? So that's something that needs to be considered. Uh, but there's you can't go more than fifty thousand at least uh, for what the rules are today. Uh, but you can of course save it elsewhere.
1: Okay, great. I, I think uh, you've uh, knitted on, uh, nailed it on the head. Is that the limit is fifty thousand? and there are ways to save it elsewhere if you uh, choose to do so. But I think you brought up an excellent point, is the power of compounding. Uh, and uh, no, to this date, I have not done a podcast on that, on that yet, but uh, uh, sit tight and it will be coming. Okay then, let's uh, move forward. And uh, I'm gonna ask the question, so now we have the money sitting in that account. Let's assume is uh, you know, 50000 uh, And we're uh, saving that money. It's growing inside, it's growing tax free. Um, and so that money at some point is going to be used for education. And so, at Ken, what type of education can that be used for? I understand that it's for post secondary. Um, does it mean that it has to be for university? Uh, What other type of um, programs can this uh, amount be used for?
0: Um, Yes, so that's a very good question too because not every single um, financial institution, educational institution uh, will be qualified for the RESP benefits. there is a list, and if you're going to look into the list, you probably want to look into the list through the government website just to make sure that you have the right information. Uh, like I mentioned in the past podcasts, you know Canada.ca has a lot of this information, so you just have to look into that. But some of these institutions could be colleges; it doesn't have, or you know, technical schools. Uh, so. You just have to look for it, um, and then, they ha- then you will be able to online, then you'll be able to figure out exactly what it is, because uh, at the top of my head, I won't be able to tell you, but I know there are, you know, not all, it doesn't have to just be a university. Uh, there are some, like, uh, uh, skills trade school that you can actually use this for.
1: Okay, um, so universities is definitely eligible, and I guess you're also saying, Uh, Vocational uh, school and education uh, in the technical fields as well. Right. So, Ken. So, I want to set up something like that, or my friends want to set up something like that. Um, Question is, you know, they have a baby, they have a newborn. uh, When can it be set up? Who can Who can set it up? At what point can we start an RESP um, account?
0: Right. So. Um, when your child is born, um, you just need to go ahead and apply for a social insurance number. Uh, that's one of the prerequisites to set up an RESP. So the moment that they are born, let's say they were born this month and you applied for the SIN number and you got that SIN number, you can apply right away uh, that same year. So you can, and you don't have to wait the next year because uh, if you want to, if you add the money to, to save for them, then just take advantage of that as early as possible. Again, that's partly because of the uh, the power of compounding. Um, so, who can set it up? Um, you know, actually, anybody can set it up for anybody. Uh, so that's uh, there's no. I think uh, our grandparents, uncles, whoever, friends can set it up for people. But one of the things that I just want to go ahead and and caution and kind of not really caution you with, but just to remind you is that. Just because you set it up, you can set up multiple RESP accounts for the same beneficiary, uh, but you need to communicate with the parents uh, who, or the guardians because you don't want to over-contribute into that. There's a penalty for over-contributions and, of course, the grants as well, right? Uh, you want to make sure the parents are, are up to speed with that because they might be expecting a grant and somebody already took the grant uh, and uh, who set up an account
1: for the children. No, that that is a very uh, very important point because uh, a lot of the grandparents want to do this for their grandchildren, and so they'll go ahead and set up the account for their newborn grandchild, uh, and may not have necessarily told the their their parents about it. And uh, if the parents go and apply again and get the grant, then that would be uh, considered double dipping. Correct?
0: Oh yeah, so they may not actually even get the grant if the grants have already been taken right so they just might get surprised and say why am I not getting the grant so they just need to know because as parents we always want to make sure that we take care of our children it's nice that we're other people are are caring for them as well but uh, the parents would also need to understand uh, or know what's happening so that they won't be upset or, or be surprised or taken aback
1: okay so this far we've talked a lot about the grant so, uh, Ken, uh, explain to us what this grant is and who is it coming from?
0: Right. So, the grant is actually coming from the government. This is the reason why it is a registered education savings plan. The government needs to know, and this is also one of the reasons, I believe, why it is important that you get a social insurance number for your, for the child before you can apply for an RESP uh, because the government has to keep track of this because they're actually going to match Okay. Now, some people are thinking. I had a question one, one the other day from one of my clients saying, "Ken, isn't the government matching me one dollar for a dollar?" I said, "Well, it said that would be nice if the government did that, but that's not the case, right? The, the government will only match up to a certain percentage, depending on your annual income. But most people, especially doctors or with a higher uh, income, will probably get the twenty percent of up to a certain limit each year. So." You pro- uh, for, uh, for one year, the max that they will give you a grant for is $500, which is, which means that uh, uh, 20% of $2,500 in that year. Uh, you can do some catch-up if you actually haven't set up the accounts uh, for the past many years, and you can do one-year catch-up uh, only per year. Uh, so that means per year you can go up to a $1,000 grant. There is also do uh, and a limit, uh, a maximum lifetime limit for this. What they call the CESG, which is the Canada Education Savings Grant, uh, of seven thousand two hundred dollars. Right. So that's uh, that, that's.
1: I think that will apply to most of our listeners. Um, so I'm not really clear on what uh, you just mentioned. So are you saying that in addition to the twenty um, percent government grant? That they will get this additional seven grand from the CESG. Can you please clarify that for us, uh, Ken?
0: Sure. So let me clarify that. Take one step back. The grant that we were talking about, where the government matches the twenty percent, um, that's actually called the ce the Basic Canada Education Savings Grant, and call it CESG for short. Okay. Um, if you have a lower income uh, family with a lower income. Um, then they you can actually apply for additional CESG, just a little bit more. But that doesn't really apply, I think, for most of our listeners, so no need to delve into it. Uh, but the CESG is only the, the 20% that we were talking about earlier. So the 7200 is actually the maximum um, grant that the government will give for any individual. So if you have two children, uh, each child can get up to 7200 in his or her lifetime. Uh, in our E S B.
1: Okay, yeah, uh, I got that. Okay, uh, so now I'm ready to set up the account. Where would one go to do that? Do I go to a bank? Uh, do I go to a financial institution? And what type of financial tu- institutions would offer that?
0: Right, so um, that's a good question, Vu, because I remember, because I've worked for several different financial institutions, I remember there are some uh, institutions that may not actually offer the RESP. Uh, not all of them do, but maybe now it, the rules may have changed, So, but back in the days I remember uh, not all of them do. So you just have to ask your financial institution. Um, if you want to do it yourself in a discount brokerage, then do it yourself in a discount brokerage, set it up. Or if you want help maybe through your bank, your local bank, uh, then set it up with the bank. Or if you have a financial planner like me or a financial advisor, uh, you can have them help you with that as well. Uh, a brokerage firm might help you, uh, uh, you know, an investment brokerage firm, uh, insurance companies sometimes do. Um, but then you also uh, maybe can, there's also some agencies out there that have set up the, the trusts, uh, the scholarship trusts.
1: Yeah, I actually, you know, have two kids. And for one of my child I did it at a uh, scholarship trust uh, and the other one I did it at a bank one of those uh, major banks here in Canada Uh, and I've noticed that there's quite a bit of difference between the two Um, can you uh, help us understand what's the difference between the ones offered at the bank and what is offered in a a private scholar trust
0: yeah so You know, most of your financial institutions will offer
1: you, similar
0: to RRSP, a self-directed RESP, uh, meaning, you know, there's a little bit more freedom in terms of what you can invest the money into. uh, And, you know, you have a little bit more flexibility in moving the money, taking some money out, and putting more money in, and so on and so forth, right? Um, So those are the most ideal ones from my experience. But there's also some that are actually contract based and those are the, the trusts that we talk about, the scholarship trust room that you, I think, you set up uh, for one of your children. Um, and those are contracts. And so uh, with those, uh, you buy most of them because every a, every company is different in the way they set up things, but trusts are typically contracts where they say, okay, you buy a certain number of units and then we will be able to give your Son or a grandchild, this X amount of dollars into university once they go to university. Um, a little bit, you know, um, with those types of contracts, usually from at least what I have seen in the past from my experience in the field, uh, is that they're usually, uh, you don't have much control over how it's invested, and usually uh, there's, uh, you know, you, there's penalties if you need, if you want to pull money out or if you stop paying. Uh, there's penalties into that, or sometimes the contracts might actually become non-void. So you just need to read those contracts before you sign them. Uh, uh, even with the banks or any financial institution, you know, when you set up an account, just make sure you ask questions and understand fully before you get into something.
1: I absolutely agree with your last sentence to truly understand what you're getting into. Uh, just from my own personal experience, um, so my first child is uh, is a son, and with the son, um, I bought into a uh, scholarship trust. And at the time, I didn't really understand what it was, but it was a friend who came to me and talked to me about it uh, and sold me um, the trust uh, because I, I needed to contribute to an RESP for my, for my son. So I bought into the trust. Uh, then I, I got my daughter. My daughter was born. And instead of going to the trust, I uh, went to a bank, uh, one of these major banks, as I mentioned. And with the bank, uh, it was very different in the sense that uh, I chose uh, what I wanted to invest in. um, And I chose a category of risk, whether I wanted to be conservative, uh, where I wanted to be more aggressive or not. I I chose the fund uh, that I wanted to invest in. And the one thing that was particular with this particular uh, RESP with the bank is that the account is set up as a, a family account, a joint account for both my daughter and my son. And so what the explanation was that even though the account was set up for my daughter, that if my daughter chose not to go to university or to post-secondary education, uh, I could use that same money to f- use it for uh, my son, so to fund his post-secondary education in contrast the scholarship trust i could only use it for my son i couldn't use it for anybody else Uh, and uh, if my son decided not to go to post-secondary education uh, i would not be able to take that money out and i would have had to forfeit that money and so it was very inflexible and that's what i learned afterwards The other thing that I realized with time is that with the scholarship trust, I was not in the driver's seat. I could not decide uh, what I wanted to invest in. I gave them the money. I invested the money, and they decided what to invest in, and I had no choice and no say in it. And so looking back, I think that I should probably better understand what I'm buying into. But then again, if if I didn't know the differences between you know what a scholarship trust is versus what a bank or a in, uh, insurance uh, carrier or a financial institution would offer uh, i would not have known all this and and i didn't uh, at the time when i bought my first one so what i would um, you know urge the audience to do is that RESP is actually an account that comes with a lots of different vehicles and it's quite complex and it's very important to understand all these before you jump right in and I wish Ken that I knew you before uh, so that you could have guided me through this
0: yeah just. do you mind if I just piggyback a little bit I just wanted to uh, to stress upon the point about the family plan versus the individual plan so this is something that you guys want to take note of if you actually uh, have uh, more than one child or plan to have more than one child uh, because um, even if you don't plan to, sometimes things happen without planning, uh, it's nice to have the family plan set up. So in some institutions it's automatic, like for instance for me, for my clients, when we set up an RESP, it's usually automatically a family plan just because it, it's really more, it makes a lot more sense, uh, like what Vu uh, had alluded to and the, the experience that she, he shared. Um, so just make sure that, you know, the, the family, if you, if there's multiple kids, or you might have multiple kids in the future, uh, that actually is important because the flexibility is there. I've had, you know, many, many clients. I've uh, seen their children go to university, and uh, some of them, you know, would say, "Can my son's not going to go to university, so my daughter's going to take the money. I said, sure. So, you know, it just makes sense. Now the daughter who's really a... Brainy wants to go to university to get a graduate studies and whatnot and and she has more money
1: Yes, and and for me that was a life lesson that was learned uh, the hard way uh, Simply because I was ignorant of the different products and offerings out there and definitely having uh, Someone like yourself Ken, on our side to make those decisions uh, are very important so Ken, finally I have one last question so I've set up these accounts for my children uh, and they're building money inside. Um, but what if uh, my childrens are not brainiacs, or you know, they decide that university or post secondary education is not for them, and they want to take another path uh, in their life? Um, can what what happens to that money? Do I actually lose the money that was saved in there? So
0: um, that's actually um, a a valid question again because it does happen, and some. Some kids, they start working at high school and they think that that's enough for them and they tell mom and dad I don't wanna go to university or go to further studies. And so what happens here really is that, so there's a few things, a few elements that you need to consider here. In your RESP, of course, in order for that to get going, somebody had to put money in there. That person who set up the account is what you call the subscriber, okay? Uh the subscriber couldn't be joint, and I want to touch upon that later, Louis, if I don't uh, if I miss it, kind of remind me. I want to make sure we touch upon that. Uh that subscriber could be joint. Um, then there's also the grant that you get from the government, right? Remember that this RESB is a sheltered, a tax sheltered type of account, meaning the amount of money that you put in there plus the grant that the government gives you to match whatever you put in, uh Will can grow if you actually put it in a growth type of investment, right? Tax-sheltered, meaning every year, even if you gained, if you doubled your money in one year, you don't have to pay taxes for that year. When the tax, the tax implication only comes when the child now is ready to go university and take the money out, it becomes their income and is taxable to them, okay? Now, What happens, Ken, if then my child, my son, my daughter decided, I'm not going to go to university, Dad, Mom, I just want to go ahead and start my own business, right? Start up my own tech company. So what happens is that in that case, there's the money that you put in, so three things. There's the money that the government put in, and there's the growth on top of that, if there is any. The money that you put in, if you want to collapse this RESP, you can take that back, no problem, because that's your money. Right? The money that the government put in, you cannot take that. They will take that back. Right? But the biggest concern of course is the money that, the growth part of it, the third, the third factor. So that growth part was tax sheltered. You'd never pay taxes on that thing. So there's a few options for that. One, you can go ahead if you have room in your R- RSP as a subscriber. Okay? The subscriber loan can do that. If you have room in your RRSP and you're eligible to make contributions, uh, then you can use that that growth part and put it into your RRSP okay, as a contribution so that you don't have to pay taxes on it. Now if you don't and you just simply wanted to pull it out, then of course the government needs to get their tax back with a penalty. So whatever the tax is on that, plus a uh, certain percentage of penalty, uh, you'll have to pay that to the government. Does that
1: make sense? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, and, you know, I I touched upon a little bit real briefly about the joint uh, subscribers. So the subscribers could be joint, just so you know, for husbands and wives or spouses or partners. Um, You can actually have a joint ownership. And sometimes uh, people set up an account, an RESP account, uh, individually, which is okay. We all have our reasons for doing certain things. Uh, But if you're starting to think more about long term especially for your estate planning, um, you'll probably want to uh, set it up as a joint ownership, right, because uh, with the joint ownership at least, if you pass away, the surviving owner will continue to be the subscriber and the RESD continues to move forward. Otherwise, if there's none, it has to go through the estate and your executor has to, if that's part of your will, has to kind of either continue or decide whatever needs to be done there. Does that make sense? So it's just really, it's a good best practice As long as there's no complications in the relationship uh, that you set it up as a joint account with somebody. Like a spouse or maybe your son or daughter or your mom or whomever.
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Ken. I think this is quite a detailed uh, session on RESP, uh, particularly this product, because it's uh, fairly complicated uh, and there's a lot of moving parts. Especially if uh, a lot of people in the market offers it, and we have to know, you know, what is good and what is bad, or what to look for. It's like uh, buying a car. Really, uh, there's so many choices and so many offerings that uh, we don't really know what is really best and what matches our uh, our goals and objectives. So thank you very much, Ken. I will have you come back, and we'll have a, a second session on think about the kids. Podcast, uh, which is coming up uh, very soon. Okay, so everybody have a good day and thank you very much for joining us. How is my financial health doc? Podcast is hosted by Dr. Vukit Tran. Dr. Tran is a physician with a special interest in personal financial security and wealth education. Dr. Tran does not render or offer to render personalized investment or tax advice through this financial podcast. The information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute financial, tax, investment or legal advice. Please confer with your advisor, lawyer or accountant for specific advice.